it didn't fulfill me in any way. And then they had bought the brand Inverosh, which is South African, a South African gin, and they wanted to host a launch party at Prime Circle. Yeah, and that's what they did. They, they we hosted probably the biggest party of Nairobi in that whole year because of COVID. It was launched at my place with police having barricaded both the whole street. My neighbors were so were like wondering what in the world's going on here. This guy said he was running a private concierge investment business. Like, what in the world's going on? You know, boombox and speakers and artists were coming to perform, and it was it was it was it was crazy. And I just remember thinking to myself, I've left asset management, and now I'm, it's like I'm like I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm basically like hosting parties now, you know? And again, they paid very well for it. And that's when I was like, I'm going to use this as a parachute. I'll use this income to pack up and go back to South Africa. Hey, listener, it's Giovanni and you're listening to The Last Student Podcast. This is the second part of our conversation with JJ. So if you haven't listened to the first one, haven't had a chance, please go and listen to part one and help us reach more people. You can share the link of this podcast with a friend or two, possibly three, four. Well, I'm selfish. <laughs> I'm going to share that with 10 people, 10, 11 people. And you can share the link with me as well. I wouldn't mind if you share with me. And we also have a newsletter on Substack. If you want to receive insights on investment, finances, entrepreneurship, we have the newsletter going out once a week. Sometimes we take some of the insights from the podcast and we send to you on that newsletter. Subscribe to the newsletter. Consider sharing that as well. Let's reach as many people as possible. Be intentional. And now on to the show. JJ, recalling a point in the conversation where you mentioned about your accident, where was it and how was it? You explain about a transition. Can you take us into the moment of the accident and the period after that? So I had the accident in Stellenbosch on the, mount, on the, the mountain range called Yonkers Hook. It's uh, popular for trail, trail, trail rides, for mountain biking tracks. Yeah, you know, some people also just hike there. There's some beautiful waterfalls there. But it is, it, it is notorious for for some bad injuries that have that have that have come out of there from especially riders. Mm-hmm. I was with uh, a group of about seven guys and girls, and we had taken the day off work. We worked half day that day. It was in 2017 April, and it was a, it was a particularly hot day. It was just after the, the the Easter weekend, and maybe I was a little bit tired, and maybe I was riding a little bit fast and definitely a little bit inexperienced on that particular route and i didn't manage to negotiate through one of the corners one of the bends which now everyone calls the tabula corner (laughs) yeah i i genuinely i genuinely didn't think i was going to live live that day i didn't think i was going to make it i didn't think i was going to make it. it is it is an absolute blessing that i did and then you know once i fell probably about 20 30 meters down I, I I was shocked that I was still alive. I couldn't believe I was still alive. And my biggest worry was that I was going to be paralyzed or paraplegic. And 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 I just I was worried about the quality of my life after that. I was actually thinking, I think I'm, maybe I, I may as well have died down here. Yeah. No, I had some deep dark thoughts. It took about uh, three to four hours for them to get me out. Nine one one rescue services. I needed to call those guys. With the guys I was cycling with, no one saw me go off. So I needed to, you know, get my phone. My arms were broken. I shattered both my elbows. My 
you know, sternum was cracked. My hips were broken. I was in bad shape. I was in bad shape. And it's funny, my brain couldn't comprehend the extent of the damage. Yeah. I actually thought I had just, I, I, I had the sensation of burning, you know, because my skin was obviously like just open. But I definitely didn't think that I broke my bones. Yeah. Until the doctors said, like, your bones are shattered. Yeah, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, this is very serious. And that was around nine. And man, I found around three. By the time I actually got a doctor's report, that was probably around like eight, nine o'clock in the evening. So, yeah, and then that was, I was sent to Stellenbosch Medi Clinic, sent off to Cape Town Medi Clinic, where we started then bringing doctors in. We couldn't find doctors in Cape Town that could, that could actually fix me. So, following day, you know, doctors are calling guys in Johannesburg and other parts of the country. Medical aid obviously getting involved, telling me they're, what they are not paying for typical medical aid and but yeah i mean four months later i, I was fairly well rehab, rehabilitated and south africa has got an incredible medical fraternity great doctors i mean if i was in another african country i'm telling you now i would be paralyzed definitely 100 percent. but yeah they were able to they were able to fix me i mean right now i mean i've gone hiking with you a couple of times and, and you can't even tell that there's anything wrong with me yeah um i even outrun you in most cases <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But um yeah, so 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 how 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 that happened, I, I mean how how that affected me, there's something about genuinely believing you're going to die. There's some there's something about that that changes your life. And I think, you know, people who have never been in near-death experiences can think back to maybe how they felt during the pandemic. You know, that feeling of the world that you live in is ne is no longer like the way you see it. Like what you see is not, it's, it's just, it's just never going to be the same. Or when someone close to you dies and you realize how easy it is for someone to die, that feeling you get, it's very easy to forget it when it's happening to somebody else. But when it's actually happening to you and you've got a good, let's say three, four hours in that particular mindset. And then afterwards, I mean, I go into hospital and even though I know I'm safe and I'm going to make it, I just... I just thought about all the things that I've ever like done and invested in and like things that I actually take seriously. Like I wake up every morning and I'm like trying to get to work early so I can outperform and because I want to get that bonus. And once I get the bonus, then I want to buy a property and you're trying to invest in, in this and that. And you're projecting the earnings of companies in you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. You don't even know if you're going to be there in that time. You're, you know, you're, you're in a relationship and you're building with somebody and you're trying to you know, everything we do as human beings, like we, we've got this like inability to conceive the end of our lives, even though those, the end might be today. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's quite a brilliant thing because technically if you are able to conceive your death to the point that it actually shapes your thoughts on a daily basis, you are technically a depressed person. And suicidal. If you think about it, like that's why, like, and that's why I think about people who actually like are, are potentially suicidal and commit suicide, etc. Like, I can fully understand how that is where where that sits on the spectrum of of, of mental illness because we are we are not naturally supposed to to think like that. It's like an animal cannot conceive its death; it only does so in the in the in the in the presence of fear. Or, I mean, in the presence of of of, of danger, and then it suddenly just forgets. You know, in two, three minutes, it's completely forgotten, you know? Oh. Yeah, exactly. The logic bubble. So, 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 so as a human being, you know, ha having, you know, me having gone through that and even the experience of being in a bed incapacitated, I mean, I couldn't even scratch my face, you know, both arm, both elbows were completely shattered. I mean, I couldn't, 
brush my teeth. I, I mean, that, that that's just to give you an, an idea of the things I couldn't do. So your imagination can run away with that. You start to appreciate everything and you don't want to waste any more time. You don't want to waste any more time. And that was a big one for me. That was a big one for me. And to be honest, I knew that I couldn't spend any more time properly putting spreadsheets together. It just, it, it just wasn't going to cut it for me anymore. I just couldn't spend any more time sitting in traffic, figuring out the quickest route to get to the office. Like, I, I was like, that's just not, a, I can't come back from this. And that's what I'm getting, I'm going back to. And then also, it's not only uh, on like entrepreneurship, it's not just about making money, you know, you're actually trying to add value to people's lives. And then you need to understand who are those people? Where are those people? And that's when I started thinking back to the fact that it's all so random that somebody who's actually from the Sese Islands is sitting on the tip of Africa in Cape Town, like chasing, chase, like paying taxes, you know? It's like, it's like, I, I just, I just really felt that I needed to go back to East Africa and like, cause I'd never lived, I've never lived there. I'm, I'm, I was just curious to know, like, if I had to take myself there and try and forge a life there. Yeah. And get to understand my people. So, so I'm, I mean, you know, just to give you context, I'm running away with the question now, but just to give you context, I'm a black South African. On paper, I'm a black South African, right? At work, I actually add to the, to the transformation quota. And yet, if you really think about it, like it's, it's actually not really, you know, yeah, I'm, I guess I grew up in the Eastern Cape and, you know, whatever was affecting black people, at the t indigenous South Africans at the time would have technically kind of affected me. But I mean, my parents came to the country educated. You know, I come from a middle class home, et cetera. So a lot of the things I, like, I don't, I don't have, to, I don't send my parents money every month. I don't have black tax, for instance. And, and, and yet here I am navigating narratives in, a, in, in corporate and, and, and I'm the BE guy, you know what I mean? It's like, it, it doesn't really, like, I just felt that like, no, like I need to be a little bit more intentional about the way I'm living my life. And that's why my decision to resign was coupled with flight directly to East Africa. And I, and I moved, I moved immediately. So my last day at work was 30th of November, 2019. On the 1st of December, 2019, I was on a flight to Kenya and I moved to Nairobi. Yeah, it was, it was very intentional. And, and, you know, the company was, when I was leaving, they were like, where are you going? you know is it is it is it is it is it is it like do you, do you are you doing because of the money you know is it investment uh, career opportunities should we should we tell you what your career looks like here you know is it, is it a transformation issue like do you feel like the company's not doing enough from a transformation perspective you know that kind of thing i'm like i, I was like none of the above you know it's like it's, it's it's actually got nothing to do with anyone it's got nothing to do with anyone i actually just needed to go on a quest and adventure on my own and that was it. And that was it. And I think if people are courageous enough to go through that, you will just, like, the self-discovery is, like, it's, it's just so worth it. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Look, I know that you are taking us now to the Prime Circle journey, the, the period in Kenya. However, I want to understand who or what was your best companion during that period of recovery? You explained that you couldn't move your body. There was, for lack of a better term, a sense of depression. So who or what was your best companion during the process of recovery? Hmm. So, yeah, I was, I remember thinking to myself, 
especially when I thought I was going to die. I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to, like, no one's going to find me here in this gorge. I'm probably going to die like overnight. I'll bleed out or, you know. And I remember thinking, I've got siblings and they'll be met. They'll get married and like, they'll talk about their brother in past tense one day. They'll be fine. You know, like, their lives will move on. They'll have kids and, and they'll miss me, but they'll be fine. And I thought about my parents. I was like, it's going to really, really hurt them. Like, I'm the only son, and you know how African parents are with the only son, you know? <laughs> I was like, that. I was like, look, it will hurt them, and they will age as a result of this. And I thought about all my friends collectively. I, I thought of them as in one big basket. And I, and I thought I've had incredible friendships, connections with people. I, I don't think anyone hates me out there. I don't, definitely don't hate anyone out there. I've also lived like just such an incredible life. And I was like, I was at peace with that. I was actually quite at peace with that. And I was thinking, okay, maybe, maybe I could have been a better Christian, you know, <laughs> from, a, from a religious point of view, you know, not to say that I'm, I've, been, I've been sinful or anything, but just, just, just in the sense that, you know, it's like, especially in this world we grew up in now, it's like, you kind of just like, you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm Christian. Yeah, I'm Christian. But one day when I'm dying, I'll, 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 I'll start going to church then, you know, I'll, I'll start praying a lot more then. But at that point, I was like, in my last hours, like, maybe let me just appreciate the beauty of this place. And like, just really think about religion and Christianity and spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. But that also kind of fades from your mind eventually because your, your will to survive, like it's, 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 it, it just kicks in. It just kicks in. And as much as I was, despondent, I was also optimistic. I mean, my, my foot was stuck, just to give you context. My foot was stuck. I, I couldn't move. I mean, over and above the fact that the body was broken, like I, I, my foot was actually stuck. And I was trying to crawl out of that place. I was like, even if it takes me the whole night, I'm going to crawl up to the top. And I, could, I, was, I couldn't move. Obviously, I couldn't move. But I, I was telling myself, Katie, you're going to think your way out of this place. You're going to think your way out of this place. And I found my phone eventually and I was able to, and I mean, I didn't have a network, but I was able to call 911. And that, 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 and even when I went to hospital, there was a counselor that would come around and just talk to guys and like, listen, you know, you're broken and you're, you know, it's going to take time and how's this affecting, you know, just, just to, you know, get you into your feelings and then make sure you don't do anything crazy to yourself. I didn't want any of those sessions. I didn't want any of those sessions. I was going to make me weak. <laughs> she's going to make me weak and I knew that like I'm strong minded enough to get through this in my own way and so I, I know you know maybe might not you know I'm not saying you're looking for specific answers but I, I backed myself yeah I, I just depended on myself I needed to just conjure I knew I, I could conjure just enough strength and to get back to to get back on my feet and get get my life back yeah so, so that determination and the drive and everything, I think, was was internal. The, the reality is there is nobody that can help you through, through through it. There is nobody. You're not your physio. I mean, my physio, I liked her as a person. We used to have great conversations. But tears would be rolling down from my eyes during my sessions. It was incredibly pain, painful. Incredibly painful. In fact, I always say the physio is way worse than the surgery. Because surgery, you're, you're out. You wake up You wake up afterwards and you, you, know, you feel like... Yeah, I mean, you 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 do feel, you you feel the pain. You feel pain, but your physio is something else, man. You know, when you're going in knowing that this person's going to 
Yeah. No, it's it's I, I, I really struggled with physio. And and yet nothing, nobody can can help you through what you need to go through in those months. So I definitely think I was I was my best companion, yeah. I was. And you know, 174 people came to see me in hospital. 174 people. I made sure everybody's name was written down. 174 in rotation. Like they would come through, I mean, Friday nights, bring a JBL speaker, bottles of wine. We're having a great time in, in, in the wards there. <laughs> and they definitely helped. I mean, having that social social you know, company and that kind of thing is great. And family and everyone was always around. But, you know, you have to get through it on your own. Yeah. Now that we've faced that period and the process of recovery, we've traveled, we're arriving in Kenya, we've arrived. What happened next? I... You know, moving to Kenya for me was one of the most liberating things I've ever done for myself. I was moving to a a, a country that I'm not from, so I was, I was I was a foreigner there. I didn't really I knew I knew of people. I, I mean, people who come to university in South Africa, blah blah blah. But like, I'm, I'm like I'm not moving there like with people like established friendships and relationships. You know, it's like I was kind of like it was a completely blank canvas. And I genuinely believed that my product was going to be successful. Yeah, I was. I, it's like I drank so much of my own Kool Aid. I mean, I was. I was drunk on it. And one one thing about me is that when I believe in something, and once I put my mind to something, I will get it done. Right. And for three months, despite all the obstacles of trying to set up shop in a foreign country, in three months we were set up. And ready to launch, and we launched on the fifth of March. Fifth of March, I was this is a prime circle. I was so proud. I was so proud. And three weeks later, the pandemic was announced. I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. You can't make it up. You can't. You honestly just can't make it up. I, I, I actually couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I remember my developers, on the morning of the 6th of March, my developers sent me a message saying that they thought that there was a bug on the platform because there were so many applications that had come in on the night of the 5th, yeah, on the day of the launch. They couldn't believe it. And I mean, you had to, to check out, you had to like process payment. It's, it's like a checkout, like, you know, you pay for the, for the thing, you know. You're paying about 100, it's, I think it was like $125 a person per month, Yeah. And like this, and, 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 and funny enough, I left South Africa with this like monthly debit order system mentality. Yeah, I get to East Africa where people, yeah, 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 subscription model. I get there where people just believe in paying 12 months upfront and they, and they move on, you know? So I was, I was, I was, I had all this business lined up, you know, I had all these clients lined up and just simply coming in. I mean, it was incredible. It was incredible. And for, 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 for three weeks later, for us to be locked down and guys are asking for refunds, holding back, you know, promise, promise on payments. And I mean, and then, and then I started looking at it thinking, there's no way the world is going to shut down for a month. Five years. Yeah, yeah. No, I, five years. I was thinking, they had said 21 days. I was thinking there's no way it's going to go beyond the 21 days. I even thought people were just going to ignore it. And... It became three months. It became six months. It became by the end of 2020, I knew very well that the investment case that I had built for this business in Kenya had the fundamentals had changed so substantially that I would be stupid to go into a new year 
trying to still make it work. And that at that point, I'd burned through so much cash. It, I knew I just needed to come back. So I, I, shut, I shut down. But, you know, I always say that was my, that was, that year was my MBA. That was my Ivy League MBA. No, literally, that, I, I, I basically paid for an MBA that year. No, that, that was really fast. I even saw that you guys had a partnership with MasterCard, right? Yeah, we had partnerships. Like we had partnerships sorted, contracts were signed, everything. By the time I moved there, I was just I was just doing last minute, last minute, yeah, last minute meet and greets. But I mean, I'd already done a trip there six months before, hired somebody who was basically my runner on the ground, and we had all these conversations were being done by the, while I was still in South Africa. So by the time I left, and Coronation expected me to serve three months' notice, I tried to get out of it, but they, they I served till the last day. So for ninety days, I was here. But basically, like, signing deals in Kenya. Yeah, so that by the time I got there, I would hit the ground running. Yeah, and I mean, MasterCard. I mean, the, the, the people at MasterCard that I was working with lost their jobs. I mean, it was, it, was, it, was, it was crazy. What happened in 2020 was a complete movie. That was a movie. And that changing business model brings us to Prime Circle Finance, right? Correct, correct. So, so the long-term vision for, for, for Prime Circle in Africa was... In the rest of Africa was always to transition into a, an investment business, which and a fund or... so so it was actually just a, a, a typical long only. So just some context: East Africa is like you know sort of like the Silicon Valley of 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 Africa at the moment. You have a lot of young guys coming up with weird and wonderful ideas. A lot of it's attracting a lot of funding, and it's 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 a bustling place. You know, you go there and you 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 feel like you just immediately feel like you're missing out on something. You know. <laughs> It's an incredible feeling. So, so I, I wanted to house all of these founders. I wanted, to, I wanted all of them to just sit under the Prime Circle and banner, banner. And the whole concept of Prime Circle is almost like a private banking experience where you are basically being honored for just being great and, you know, and prime, you know. So it came with a co-working space. So all these guys who are working out of their homes or wherever, or they are, you know, or they are working in office spaces that don't necessarily speak to their brand and their vision. I wanted to build a place or I got a place. I basically designed a place for them for that reason. It came with catering. It came with a barber. It's concierge service. You know, you don't have to step out to go get your, your weekly haircut or whatever. Like everything was in the same place, you know, conferencing rooms and everything. We have like top lawyers. We've got top accountants. We've got financial planning. We've got everything under the same roof private equity guys, VC guys, everything under the same place so that when, when this international money comes in and they're looking for where do we find these guys, they're all sitting at Prime Circle. They're all under Prime Circle, you know? It would be like a Forbes list. In fact, and that's actually where I, where, where I did my, my marketing from. I just went to the Forbes 30 under 30 and 40 under 40 list and just approached all those guys. That's, that's literally what I did. That was my, that was my marketing strategy. And, and it was, it's such a huge void in, in the rest of Africa, but especially in East Africa, that it, the conversion rate was, it was simple. It was, it was the simplest way to do it. And, and having, been, having been raised in South Africa, you know, having lived in Cape Town, having worked in industry where we wine and dine uh, investors for a living, it wasn't very difficult for me to, to, uh, to lure in top talent that side. And... So, so, you know, my, my, my strategy was that in, you know, 10, 15 years, a lot of these guys who have blown up, you know, who are like 25 to, to 35, 40 years old now, 
they I would have converted them as as clients. I'd converted their 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 top staff as clients, their companies, you know, managing uh, additional cash flow, you know, whatever's on their balance sheet, you know. And I wanted to give them access to South African investments, you know. Simple, like basically Primecycle become a platform for them to basically just park their cash and they would have exposure to stocks that are listed on our stock exchange, unit trusts that, 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 that do very well in South Africa. And then, of course, looking abroad as well. So it was almost like a combination of all the, you know, all the, all the places I'd worked in. You, I'm basically building like a brokerage, which is like PSG. I'm, 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 look, I'm going after the startup companies, which is like sort of like uh, a PSG, Signia's um, strategy, right? And then, and then just simply outperforming everyone, which was coronation. Coronation. Yeah. Because I want, I, I wanted to ask you that it seems they were building the three previous companies in in one company. That was my strategy, and it worked beautifully. For a very short time, of course, yeah. I mean, right now, when people still see me, if I, you know, I spend time in Nairobi now, people always ask me, is, I, I like, I, I hope you're relaunching. I hope it's coming back. So once I came back to South Africa, I, I was also very exhausted. I, it was an exhausting year because I still kept the premises open. I still ran the business. Like, um, And funny enough, towards the end of 2020, we started, again, receiving people coming in, international brands, that just wanted to work through COVID, et cetera. But the model had changed a bit. So the way people wanted to use Prime Circle, we, they were using it very differently. And, and, and again, I spoke to you earlier about being able to make money from something that doesn't necessarily drive me or inspire me. Because it's not actually about making money, right? You shouldn't be running your business to, to break even or to, or to, or to just purely make money. You know, you, you actually need your, your, your ethos, your philosophy needs to be, you need to be ticking those boxes. Otherwise you just don't feel fulfilled. And so while I did like quite a few interesting gigs, it just wasn't fulfilling. It just wasn't fulfilling. I mean, and I'll give you an example, an alcohol brand. Okay. A French alcohol brand, Pernod Ricard. They had five locations that they wanted to launch, uh, to do adverts in Nairobi. Yeah. And they came to my space to potentially uh, screen it for one of the adverts. They loved it so much. They did all five adverts there, <laughs> right? Obviously, I uh, earned decent um, income from that or decent revenue from that. But I mean, that, that wasn't, that's not my primary, that's not my primary, yeah, my primary, that's not my primary field. So they're cameramen and like uh, models and, you know, it's great on the day. But like, it, it, it absolutely, besides the financial and monetary incentive it didn't fulfill me in any way and then they had bought the brand Inverosh which is South African a South African gin and they wanted to host the launch party at Prime Circle yeah and that's what they did they that we hosted probably the biggest party of Nairobi in that whole year because of COVID it was launched at my place with police having barricaded both the whole street my neighbors were so were like wondering what in the world's going on here this guy said he was running a private concierge investment business. Like, what in the world's going on? You know, boombox and speakers and artists were coming to perform, and it was it was it was it was crazy. And I just remember thinking to myself, I've left asset management, and now it's like I'm like I'm 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 basically like hosting parties now, you know. And again, they paid very well for it. And that's when I was like, I'm going to use this as a parachute. I'll use this income to pack up 
and go back to South Africa. And I used that money to pay my staff in advance for loss of income that they were going to, ex- to, you know, to experience. I started talking to some investment businesses here, smaller, much, much smaller businesses who would be able to like, uh, you know, absorb my skills quite easily. And yeah. And I told guys, look, I'm coming back to South Africa. I told my, I didn't, I, I had nothing left in SA. I'd sold everything. Like when I left, I left. So I needed to come back and I just needed a place to land. And I also think I had underestimated the extent of the pandemic here. When I got to, when I landed at Cape Town International, I couldn't believe how empty the airports were. Like everything was closed. I started realizing like, this place is dead. (laughs) This place is completely dead. Like the lockdown here was serious. So I basically moved back to South Africa and just went and stayed at my parents' house for what I thought would have been two weeks and then start work or one month and start work. It actually ended up being four months. And that's a long story. My parents got sick with COVID. And I think my keenness to also rejoin the workforce was not there. I think like I knew I had a good product. It was just the timing. It was nothing wrong with the product. Yeah, it was the timing. I was also very exhausted. For me to now put a suit back on it and just go behind a desk and start opening my Excel sheets again. I was like, no, guys. No ways. And then also... You know, I'm I'm on the client side of things. So like I'm not it's not like I'm going to 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 start meeting investors. You know, it's like maybe we need to set up a, a team's call and, and like what are we even talking about? You know? So I I really needed to just take a, a back seat and just rethink introspect of the year that was yes. and then forge 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 a, a future. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that 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 essentially the culmination of that was the existing business of Prime Circle that exists now. So I spent that time at home applying for licenses, spent that time at home, you know, forging a new, completely different strategy, a South African business with all the with all the tentacles that could grow back, you know, grow back into whatever I wanted it to become in 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 the rest of Africa. And, and most importantly, something that could be a very quick solution to the financial problems that people were facing there and then. You know, when, you're, when, when, when you've just gone through a pandemic like we, like we had, had gone through at the time, or we were actually still in one, you can't be talking to people about 15 years. Mm-hmm. You can't be. It's, it's exactly like me on that mountain. Yeah. I needed somebody to fetch me, like, within hours. Right now, I need... Um, I needed someone to fetch me and then I needed someone to fix me up. You can't be talking to me about 10, 15 years. And while that is what we try to talk to our clients about, yeah, that's what we try to get our clients to, how we try to get our clients to think. It was very clear to me. The pandemic, unfortunately. There's some urgency. Yeah. It shows you that, listen, sometimes you need to talk to people about tomorrow. JJ, what is the primary service of Prime Circle Finance. Maybe, maybe let me give you a backstory. So in South Africa, South Africa has got quite strict exchange controls. Exchange controls are essentially foreign allowances of basically money, um, you know, discretionary income or money that you have as a person, taxpaying citizen in this country. There is a law against how much you can send out of the country. So you cannot just willy-nilly go and buy dollars. You either need to show that you've got a ticket to go somewhere. There must be a reason why you want the dollars. You can send money out of the country up to a million rand. Anything more than a million rand, they scrutinize, and you must prove that you don't have any debts, you don't have any, you know, you need to send them like a statement to show your assets and liabilities. 
And if you've got up to another 10 million rand, you can send that out. But that's your cap for the year. Now, because our Reserve Bank is so strict on, this, on these policies, an asset in South Africa, which is worth a dollar elsewhere, will cost a dollar and a, and a slight premium in South Africa because you're essentially buying a foreign asset where people are struggling to convert their local currency to get the foreign currency to get the asset, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So that, 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 is, that, is, that, that presents an arbitrage opportunity. An arbitrage opportunity is when, or an arbitrage is when a product that technically should, I mean, there's no difference, you know, whether you're here or in the US or anywhere else in the world, that product should technically be worth the same value, but it costs more in one place than it does in the other. That's, that, that is the simple, the simple context behind the business. So what Prime Circle does, or rather what, 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 what other organizations do is that they help people, especially wealthy people, because to take this money out, you need to show where this money came from. So people who have 100,000, 200,000 rand, et cetera, they go to these organizations, they help them book the foreign, buy foreign exchange, you buy an asset in a foreign country, and you essentially bring it back to South Africa and sell it. Now, you need to prove where you have got this money from. A, you could have a salary, you could have sold your house, et cetera. The South African Reserve will sign that off happy. You can, you can take, we'll give you the dollars, you can send the money across. However, if you don't have that money, you might need to take a loan. So Prime Circle, A, provides loans to people who want to exploit this particular opportunity. No, for no other reason, we have, a, we, we have a credit license that we use primarily for people that want to take money offshore. What we also do is we, give, we, we essentially facilitate the purchase of the foreign asset that you will buy offshore at whatever amount, let's call it a dollar, we will then facilitate the bringing back of that particular foreign asset to South Africa and sell it for you at a premium. We will charge you interest on the loan we gave you, and we will charge you fees on, you know, for the for the intellectual property of buying and selling the asset in, you know, buying it in in the U.S. and selling it in South Africa. Our market reach or our potential market size, I mean, it's uncapped because we're giving, we're giving loans out to people, right? So, you know, while, while other businesses are waiting for somebody with 100 or 200,000 rand to come, and they are there in South Africa, plenty of them, but it's like a trust game. Again, it boils down to you're looking for that way at 1%. Yes. Because we're giving the loans out, it doesn't actually really matter how much. Yeah, you, 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 need, to earn, you, you need to have a salary at least because you need to be able to pay back the interest on the loan. But Essentially, it's uncapped how many clients we can have. And that's the reason why we've been so successful in this, in this business. Because, you know, our addressable market is, I think I've calculated it to be about 3 million people. What? Yeah. It's just, it just becomes a function of how big my sales team, my sales team is. So, so we've had great success from 2021 till now. Yeah. And how is everything going right now? Looking at the place where you want the company to be. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, where I mean, I I spend I've spent a lot of nights up forecasting what what I want, what I can do, and what you know what what I can build. And we're currently building a technological a technology platform 
in order to make time circle scale and also such that people don't need to necessarily be in a specific geographical location. Oh, yeah. In order to basically put money in the platform. So we want to be able to to do invoice discounting. So I'll just give you a quick example. So Africa has got premium organic food, okay? Avocados, and we've got farmers who are have been, you know, working the land since the beginning of time. And they produce great avo. And they actually take that avo for, for, for granted. And Kenya, for instance, Uganda, for instance, I mean, those guys don't think that there's anything premium about their, their fruit and vegetables because that's what they're used to. But in, in, in the UK, for instance, it is very difficult to come buy some good avo. Even in South Africa, even in South Africa, you actually pay quite a premium for it. And that's a very good arbitrage opportunity. So, so we want to essentially be able to, for organizations in the UK, for instance, who want to buy directly from the farmer, they can essentially put the money onto our platform, the, the pounds onto our platform, or the dollars into our platform. And we essentially pay off the, the, the farmer, right? And what, what, what essentially they're doing is, I mean, the farmer is not necessarily buying these immediately. This, this purchaser in the UK is, 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 is providing a line of credit to the farmer in order to, to fill an order that this person has, okay? And, but the, the thing is, the farmer doesn't care whether they receive the money in dollars or not. That guy just wants his shillings. So if we're able to absorb as many shillings and, and, and local currency as possible, which is what our business does essentially because we are an African business, we could then buy the dollars from these guys or take the dollars from these guys. We give them the rate. We pay the farmer as he wants, and we basically make a spread off that off that off that transaction. Just off the off the yeah. So there is absolute. So so one of the things I want to do is like there should be no fees for for the Prime Circle platform. There shouldn't be a monthly fee. Nothing. You come on there simply to facilitate transactions. Finish. End of end of story. And it's nothing complicated. It's just this guy just knows that he wants his farmer to receive money, and this farmer just knows that they need to send their consignment across and. The, the, the dynamics of the of the transaction have nothing to do with me. I'm we are just making sure that we facilitate the transaction in in a seamless manner. And and um, another very good example is we've got a whole, we've got a whole a lot of clients in East Africa whose children go to school like the private schools in South Africa. They should be able to go onto our platform, load the beneficiaries of these schools the account details as beneficiaries of these schools. And we essentially give them a great rate. So one of the things I've missed out on is that East Africa has a serious shortage of dollars, especially in Kenya. You can't just walk into the bank and get, yeah, no. and get dollars. It's actually quite, a, quite an issue. So if we are facilitating transactions such as the, 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 the UK avocado example I just gave, where we are receiving $100,000 of, 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 of dollars, of hard currency, and we've got a Kenyan guy who wants to, pay his child's school fees at, at Michael House, mm -hmm. which costs $30,000 a year, we can essentially just, you know, use that hard currency to essentially sell to this guy and, and make the payment in, 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 in KZN for this guy, you know, in, in, in South Africa for this guy. And we're giving him a, pre a preferred rate. We're giving him a great rate. We're not, we're not a bank. We may, be, we may be, you know, almost acting as one in a sense. We may be providing a service. But what we are really is... We have a relationship manager that this guy is able to call. He doesn't even necessarily have to go onto his app and you know, do, it, do the whole thing. He can call a relationship manager 
and get that personal experience of, listen, I need to pay the school fees for this kid, blah, blah. The relationship manager knows my client is a, client ABC and the school is ABC. And they make sure we just make sure that that thing is, is sorted. And, you know, the guy gets the best rate. I mean, we'll know what the banks are charging. We know what, you know, is, is on the black market. And these guys are essentially not even trying to mess around against the black market. Yeah. They just want the fees paid at the best possible rate. And that's essentially what the service we're going to be doing there. And, and I mean, their, their whole cocktail, I mean, even just remittance. If you want to send money to Angola, to, you know, mom, dad, uh, auntie, younger brother, whatever the case may be, you should just be able to go on your app. EFT money to the platform to your to your thing and, and just click and click and go and go and currency and the money should just reflect on the other side. There's absolutely no reason why not. So what we are busy doing is just building the payment rails and and being able to have liquidity providers in various locations that are able to on ramp and off ramp money and disperse and that kind of thing. So so it's basically one big platform, but but embedded on that as well will be investments that people can then plug into. That's that that that's essentially it. Because I mean, if you think about it, if you want to invest in a unit trust in South Africa, you should be able to do the same thing. We just need to get the legal side of it right to be able to register clients in a in a specific way that meets the KYC and FICA requirements of South Africa. But otherwise, that is essentially what Principle is. It's like a private, it's like a private client's private banking experience, but also it's serving. It should be able to serve just the man on the street who just wants to do a very basic transaction of moving money from this point to that point whatever the case may be and then people who are doing invoice discounting and i mean there's, there's and then the arbitrage service and yeah and i've heard that you were giving money away in the street some of the profits or whatever was that linked to the arbitrage service or what was that about no no so so that 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 is essentially the arbitrage service that you know if you think about it if somebody who is not necessarily sophisticated, you know, like unsophisticated investors who don't necessarily understand how the, the arbitrage works. Yeah, how the, how the, the, the arbitrage works. And they, they essentially are able to monetize the fact that they don't travel inter internationally. They don't buy foreign currency during the year. So they don't actually need that allowance. So if you think about it, those are so many people that just walk the streets of, of this country. It's a lot. That, and that, that was the addressable market I was talking about. So if you're 18 years old, you've got a tax number, you've got like a, an address, a permanent address where you live, an ID number, you, you know, you're essentially able to apply to come onto our platform and we facilitate the, the trades for you. We walk, I mean, we explain exactly what's happening. We set up your accounts and everything. And, and you're essentially participating in this arbitrage opportunity and earning money or earning proceeds from these transactions without necessarily having all the, it's like taking your money to Alan Gray. I mean, Alan Gray doesn't expect you to understand when to buy MTN shares, when to sell out of them, you know, which, which, which stock is going to give you the highest dividend. You just give them your money and they are supposed to facilitate all of that for you. At the end of the month, you, at the end of the, the year or the month, or you get a statement to say how much you've made or how much you've lost. They take a fee for their professional fees and that's the end of it. So that is essentially how we've packaged this arbitrage opportunity. Yeah. You're basically getting money because you, you're also taking a loan. Alan Gray is not going to give you a loan to invest in their fund. You know, so, so we, we, we've kind of changed. We've kind of taken the 
traditional asset management model and sort of changed, you know, turned it on its head mm -hmm. to say, we'll loan you the cash yes. to invest in our strategy. Yeah. So, so that, that, that you know, and I, and I guess that's probably where you picked it's up. Very Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> it is different. It is different. It's definitely different. It's definitely wow. different. Yeah. Can you share with us your vision and ideas on investing as an entrepreneur? Let's say that I'm, I'm looking at some capital and I want to get that money, the capital working, capital working, capital really working for me. And I'm looking at markets. I'm looking at South Africa, the east of Africa. We can go as far as the north of the continent, but I'm looking at the continent and I want to put my capital working here. What are your views and what's your outlook? Mm, so, so legally, I'm not actually allowed to give advice. Um, <laughs> so this is this this, this is not yeah this is not advice. Factually speaking, South Africa has got one of the more established financial markets. I mean, definitely on the continent. And I think at a, at a global level, South Africa cannot be ignored. Mm -hmm. the, the performance of the companies in this country over the last 30 years even, even more than 30 years, but let, let's, let's just use the last 30 years, has been outstanding, right? If you look at it on a... 10-year, 7-year, 5-year, 3-year, 1-year basis, you will get periods of, you know, underperformance and, and that kind of thing. And I've always said that, and especially as somebody who with a maths background, I always say that those numbers are very arbitrary. Five years is five years to the end of May. Like, today is the end of May. So, like, if you calculate five years, that's 60 months back. You're looking at a window of 60 months. By next, next end of next month, you're looking at the end of June. You could drop off one bad, really bad month five years ago and suddenly the performance looks great. Yeah, and that is why it's very important as an investor to look out into the future. You need to look out into the future. Like, and what Warren Buffett very, was very good at, at, at saying, you know, do you buy a property and then every month you're going to look at the value of your property. It's like, you, you don't do that, you know? Yeah, or, or you don't try to time when you buy. Like, I'm like, no, 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 I, like, I want to buy that property on Saturday, yes. yeah, not not on Tuesday. You know, it's like it's like you don't do that. You must be investing for such a long period that those kind of metrics don't really matter. So, and I think there is a lot of short termism, short term mindedness in, in, in speculation. Yeah. So 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 people tend to go into financial market investments with that angle mentality, and it it just doesn't work. Yes, you can be very good at some point to time the market or whatever, but the reality is you should just be investing for the long term. So like, for instance, like my unit trust, my unit trust investments, I, I, they don't even need to send me a statement, to be honest. I, I, I actually don't care. I actually don't care. I just, you know, money goes off every month. It goes into the unit trust and I'll look at it when I'm in 20 years from now, you know? So, so that, that's a, that's the, a very good mentality to adopt. The South African regulator is quite strict with who is able to invest here. So you can't have some fine looking chap from Angola just waltzing in and like getting investments with with with, with companies here. You need to have, have a proof of address. You need to have a local bank account because when you are when you're when you're paying money into the fund and when you're getting money out of the fund, it needs to be a, a local bank. So, so those are some of the challenges that, for instance, I'm actually trying to 
to work around. Yeah, those are the challenges I'm trying to work around because there are so many people in the rest of Africa that want exposure to decent financial markets. There's nothing wrong with the economies of our countries as far as of, of our foreign countries and the rest of Africa. There's nothing wrong with the economies in terms of growth, but, but the financial markets, they are just not deep enough. So you get great businesses that are not listed. Yeah, they're not listed. And it's, it's, it's a cultural thing, I actually think. I actually think it's a cultural thing. You're going to go to a mom and pop store that they've been running for the last like 30, 40 years and start telling them, guys, look, you need to, you know, get your taxes in order, meet these these financial requirements, you know, list the company on, on, on the Kenyan or the Ugandan stock exchange. I mean, they're going to look at you like, are you out of your mind? Yeah. Why would why would we want to to, to 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 do that? Like why would we want to put ourselves through that scrutiny? And so that, that that's definitely a challenge. I think regulators need to find a balance between regulation regulation and then also just allowing players in the market to actually participate and, 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 and distribute that wealth, you know. Because everybody's looking for funding. Everybody's looking for funding. The whole point of listing a, a company on, on an exchange is to is to raise raise capital, you know. And, and, and one of the best ways to do it is, is to just list your company, you know. But but unfortunately, the, the regulators are a bit, you know, they, they're, they're a, bit, a bit too strict and there's a lot of work and it's, it's exhausting stuff, you know. So so that being said, the investments that, that are available to people outside of financial markets in the rest of Africa, I definitely think are within the smaller, the smaller businesses. I mean, we all know the land story, like buy land, build apartments, blah, blah. I mean, and we've got such a young population there. I mean, I think Uganda's average age is like 17 years old. I mean, it's like a country of children, basically. If you, you know, if, if, if people who build schools there do incredibly well, if you are able to build not even like fancy homes, but like if you're able to build proper middle-class homes, you do very well, but the problem is access to capital, even on a mortgage, is 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 it's quite really yeah, it's, it's complex. Yeah. It's complex. So, so 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 you see, there are so many opportunities, and yet there are actually more opportunities to actually grow businesses. Yeah, there are actually more opportunities to grow businesses and back these businesses because people are genuinely trying to solve for such problems. South Africa, I mean, I don't need to tell you about the issues in this country. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they are they are serious serious problems here. Yeah. One would need to have very thick skin to start investing here. You know, you would have to be blindly optimistic to start investing here. Yeah, but there are also seriously good opportunities in South Africa that you you know you, one would need to sort of look through a lot of the noise and and also like just pay very close attention to the political landscape. You know, I always say that South African. Business owners, I'm talking about like the spas, the shop rights, the spurs, the, you know, businesses like those are so resilient to shocks in the economy. They're forging through. And if you, if you were here around the transition of the apartheid government to the let's call it the democratic government <laughs> for lack of a better word to use if you were here during that time south africa was going through a very the sentiment then was very similar to the sentiment that we have now people were leaving people were were were, were very pessimistic it 
it's like we just needed a miracle to get through it. I mean, my I was very young at the time. My parents were also thinking, listen, this is it. This is it. I think we need to go. We need to leave. And and the people that stayed enjoyed a seriously good, maybe 20 years. Yeah. A seriously good 20 years of incredible growth. If you look at the financial markets in South Africa during you know, years leading out of coming out of of um of of that of that era. On on a world stage, it, it you know we would knock the lights out, absolutely knock the lights out. And one of the things that South Africa has going for it is that South Africa has got a lot of resources here, so gold, platinum, you know, yeah. So we've got a lot of raw raw material, raw minerals, and these minerals are always being mined. And you know, at at a time when things are going wrong, the South African rand just can ne- it just never holds its it never holds its own. Yeah, it never holds value. Right now, we're sitting at like almost 20 rand to the dollar and people are crying. But let me tell you, the, peop- the, the countries that need those raw materials are buying in dollars and you've got a lot of hard currency then coming back into the country, which really helps the fiscus and just allows South Africa to get through. So the commodity, the commodity, cycle, the commodity cycle somehow, some way is, 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 is is part of like the is, is is part of like the saving grace of this country a lot of the time and things somehow just always always work out you know and 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 another thing about south african businesses is that in a world where you've gone through serious apartheid you you know segregation you've gone through a genuine shift in 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 governments like a serious shift in governments You've gone through, yeah, you know, we're at the brink of a civil war at some at some point. You've gone through all these challenges, and there were serious sanctions uh, imposed in South Africa during that time. These businesses had to go; they had to make it through. They had to get through it, whether it's consolidation with other businesses, whether it's you know, whether it's amalgamation, whether it's you know, selling off stakes, whatever the case may be. These businesses have that track record of having done very well to get through that, which has shown their resilience. And then also you've got you've got passport holders, dual 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 citizen, dual citizens who run these business predominantly. So these guys have UK UK passports, etc. As a consequence of again the colonial the colonial history of the country. Okay. And naturally, what is the everybody who makes money, you want to take your money and, and put it into hard into hard currency. What is the best thing to do? You just go and open up shop in 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 the UK, yeah. you know. And there was already that relationship between the UK and um, and South Africa. So you know, people started opening up shop in the UK, in Europe, in you know, parts of some some went to the Australian route and got a little bit burnt. Some of them, <laughs> but you know, that sort of drive to get to that international stage. I, I, I mean, I, I, I really think that you have co- companies with such a demonstrable track record that what we're going through now, I think that I, I genuinely want to believe we can get through it. I genuinely want to believe we can get through it as a country. And I think that, you know, it's up to guys like myself who are, again, South African by birth, dual citizens, dual citizens i could be anywhere else i don't i don't have to be here but standing on the outside looking looking back at south africa it literally looks like the place is on fire honestly speaking i mean when i got back two months ago i was like 
I was crying inside, you know. I was thinking to myself, how in the world is there no electricity here? You know, it, 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 it's shocking for me. It's shocking for me. And you just look at the number of people. There are like 15,000 people living on the streets of Cape Town. It's so sad, you know. It's so, so sad. But, and, you know, crime in Johannesburg is just completely, like, people are just stealing, like, infrastructure, you know. And, like, it just, it literally just feels like I don't know what can be done, you know. It almost just feels too much to, 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 to be helped. It's so easy to just book another flight and just leave. But it's, it's, it's up to guys like us that have studied, that have worked, that understand the, some of the problems. So I don't think, I, look, a big problem is corruption. Whether you understand corruption or not, like it just needs to stop. Yeah. It's, it's up to guys like us to just come back and, 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 and work on the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also think that it's important for people to transition their, their thinking from, okay, this is South Africa and this is an African problem. This is Kenya and the Kenya. Yeah. If we can actually just think of the place, the pan-African, if you can be a pan-Africanist, you know, and try and have a, an approach to Africa as a continent, I definitely think that that can help shape perception. Yeah, I definitely that can help shape perception because, I mean, South Africa got, has got serious social issues. We've got xenophobia. We've got, like, crimi- like a sense of criminality that just, like, you know, in South Africa, we've we've normalized it. Culture, yeah, you you you, you yeah. get shocked. Yeah, like, what is happening yeah. at the neighbor's house? <laughs> exactly. Like, there's a sense of criminality here that's just been normalized. You know, it's like, oh, okay, the CEO of some business was seen stealing from Woolies, and like, like we kind of like laugh about it. You know, there's, that is not a laughing matter. This guy went to a private school, like, and 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 when you think of your average criminal, you're not thinking about like a private school educated person. You're not thinking about a person that like leads teams and is supposed to be a visionary. And you just find yourself like shocked at the fact that somebody can just see an opportunity to do something criminal and just takes it. And the rest of Africa, that just does not happen. It just doesn't happen. Like the domestic violence here. I look at that. I'm like, that's a pandemic. You know, like why in the world would you want to like stab your spouse in her in her in her chest like and hang your kids like I, I, I just i can't understand it i just can't understand it but so 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 through all those social issues i'm telling you now there are people who are making decisions on the back of that they're like i was gonna buy a, i was gonna buy a building or an apartment or whatever but i'm not gonna do it anymore De- definitely and through that narrative are opportunities there will always be people that have no intention of going anywhere. They're always 100%. There'll always be people who want to move across the road where the grass is a little bit greener. Always, always. There'll always be people that want to take the mortgage, to take out the mortgage or buy the, buy the car or get more financing. Or There'll always be. So even though you have a lot of very critical people leaving the country, which is concerning, you also do have... You have... I want to say you've got a middle class that's also trying to... Like a growing middle class, etc., but with the with the current economy, people are very stretched. People are very stretched. Yeah, very very stretched. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. I'm trying to be optimistic here. <laughs> <laughs> JJ, as is tradition, I would like to offer you a space to address the billions of people in our beautiful continent and around the world. This includes those who are currently listening and those that will be listening to our conversation, the entrepreneurs, creatives, farmers, visionaries, peacemakers, the students like the last student, the leaders, the floor is yours. Mm, yeah, that's, uh, 
That's a lot of people. <laughs> One thing I would say is that everybody has got two lives. The second life starts when you realize that you only have one. If you can absorb that, if you can live by that, try to remember it all the time, you'll live an incredible life. Everybody has two lives. The second life begins when you realize you only have one. That for me is like, yeah, the motto. Encompasses all the carpe diem, it encompasses, encompasses all the other quotes. That one for me, because, yeah, and, and essentially boils down to time. What we're talking about is time. The, the time dividend that you are rewarded with when you live life, let's say the way I'm living it, post 20, 2019, I'd say, you know, is it's unmatched. It's unmatched. You can't even put a price to it. You could tell me that you could be earning more if you were at this company below. It's fine. You, you can keep the money. I'd rather, I'm prepared to pay for this time dividend that I have. It's just not replaceable. It's just not replaceable. Thanks a lot, my brother. Really appreciate it. For those that want to keep in touch with you, what's the best place? Mm -hmm. So the best way would be to just drop me an email at hello at primecircle.africa. And yeah, I'd be very keen to have conversations with, with guys around building across Africa. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Gio. And that was it for today. Let's keep the conversation going. Send messages to JJ. He shared the context. You can find JJ on LinkedIn as well. And you can find the last student on LinkedIn. You can reach out to recommend, to send positive notes, to share your comments. You can also go on your podcast, the platform that you're using. You can leave your comments there. Please share the podcast. If you have recommendations of guests that you want us to interview, let us know in the comments. The plan is to reach the 54 countries that we have in the continent, a beautiful continent, amazing talent. And we're going to do that. We're going to Angola. We're going to Rwanda. We're going to Uganda. And you as well. Keep traveling. Come to South Africa. Visit Ikaya Lodge. Go to Angola. I'll sort you out. <laughs> go to Congo. Go to Rwanda. And keep traveling. Let's keep exploring this beautiful continent that we have. And let's increase the trade that we have. I'm Giovanni, your host, and you were in the presence of the last student. See ya.